Hey everyone, it's Eves. Just wanted to let you know that you'll be hearing an episode from me and an episode from Tracy V. Wilson today. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to this day in history class. It's July 23rd. Today in 1952, a revolution began in Egypt. And we gotta back up a little bit before we get to the revolution part. Britain occupied Egypt in the late 18th century, and that continued all the way until World War I. When that war was over, Egypt declared its independence on February 28th of 1922. The resulting kingdom of Egypt was, at least in theory, a constitutional monarchy. Even though men had the right to vote and half of the Senate were elected positions, the general population did not have a lot of voice in the government. Really, there were three powers that were all struggling for dominance. There was the British, who still had a huge presence in Egypt. There was the monarchy. And there was the WAFT, which is a political party that for a time was really the only national political party in Egypt. The WAFT's power declined after World War II, and other political parties rose up, a lot of them pushing to really remove the British influence completely from Egypt. They wanted an end to British presence in neighboring countries as well. By the late 1940s, there was a lot of unrest with opposition to the monarchy and to British involvement in Egypt coming from all over the political spectrum. So regardless of what people's other political views were, where they fell in all kinds of issues, really a lot of them were united in the idea that the British needed to go. Within the military, tensions started to rise after Egypt's defeat in the 1948 Arab-Israeli War. They felt like the king had really abandoned them during all of this. So Colonel Gamal Abdel Nasser established the Free Officers Movement in 1949. The purpose of the Free Officers Movement was to try to overthrow the monarchy and end its connections with the British Empire. One of its more prominent figures was General Muhammad Naguib. They took down the government in a coup. The coup this episode is about on July 23rd, 1952. They forced the king, King Farouk, to abdicate and to leave the country. And the king did this. He abdicated in favor of his son, who was at the time only seven months old. At least in name, his son reigned as the king of Egypt and the Sudan until the monarchy was abolished in 1953. This coup played out over only nine and a half hours. And afterward, Naguib named himself commander-in-chief of the Egyptian army. So a an odd thing about this coup, a lot of times when you hear about overthrowing governments, the people doing the overthrowing have a very clear sense of what the government should be like after that happens, and that wasn't so much the case here. The free officers didn't have a specific plan of what they wanted the government of Egypt to be like after this coup. They were just motivated by a very more general sense of Egyptian nationalism. They did, though, start trying to make some changes. There were a lot of reforms they tried to put into place. Some of these were successful. They did install a more democratic government. There were land reforms, including redistributing land from the wealthy to poorer people. There were new educational opportunities, especially for impoverished children. There were advances in voting rights, including for women, and an anti-corruption campaign that was successful in some ways and not others. But at the same time, there's some debate about whether it's better to call this whole thing a revolution or a coup, especially since so many of the Egyptian leaders that followed this event were all members of the military and part of the free officers movement. 
This was the first of many military coups in the Arab world, though. It had a huge effect not only on the nation of Egypt, but on the rest of the Middle East as well. And this was especially true as Nasser, who was appointed the first president of Egypt in 1954, advocated for Arab unity and for independence from the other colonized nations in the Arab world. Nasser, by the way, was the first native Egyptian to rule the country in well over 2,000 years when he was appointed. When Nasser died of a heart attack in 1970, his funeral drew at least 5 million attendees, making it one of the largest gatherings in human history. And of course, this was not remotely the end of revolution or of unrest in Egypt. That has had a whole history in the roughly half a century since this time. But today, Revolution Day is a public holiday in Egypt commemorating this event. Thanks to Christopher Hasiotis and his research on today's episode and for Tari Harrison, who edits all of these episodes, you can subscribe to This Day in History class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Tomorrow, we have a disaster on the water that was, ironically, the unintended result of improved safety standards. Hi there. Welcome to This Day in History class, where we sift through the artifacts of history seven days a week. The day was July 23, 1903. The Ford Motor Company sold its first Ford Model A to a Chicago dentist named Ernst Finning. Henry Ford built the Quadricycle, his first gas-powered vehicle, in 1896. The Quadricycle was powered by a four-horsepower engine, and its chassis was a buggy frame mounted on four bicycle wheels. The vehicle had a tiller instead of a steering wheel. Ford sold his quadricycle to improve his prototype and finance the construction of more vehicles. Ford attracted financial investors with his vehicles, and in 1899, he joined a group that founded the Detroit Automobile Company, later called the Henry Ford Company. But while his backers were ready to put an automobile on the market, Ford was focused on improving his models. After building several race cars, he left the Henry Ford Company, which was soon reorganized as the Cadillac Motor Car Company. In 1903, the Ford Motor Company was incorporated with a $28,000 cash investment. One of the company's investors rented a factory building on Mack Avenue in Detroit to Ford, and the company began production on the first Ford Model A in the summer of 1903. But the company's assets quickly ran out, and by June of 1903, there were only three salaried employees. By mid-July, the company was almost out of cash. But on July 23rd, the Ford Motor Company sold the Model A to Ernst Finning for $850. The vehicle was sent to Finning a little over a week later. The Model A, designed mainly by Ford's assistant C. Harold Willis, was big enough for two people. It had no top and had a two-cylinder, eight-horsepower engine. It could go up to 30 miles per hour or 48 kilometers per hour. By September 30th, nearly 200 vehicles were produced and sold at the Mack Avenue plant. By October, the company had turned a profit of $37,000. The company was doing well. Ford even founded his first international plant in Canada in 1904. But the company had to keep up with competition, too. 
At the time, Oldsmobile was one of Ford's biggest competitors, and it was producing more cars than Ford. Ford purchased another site in Detroit and built a larger factory where more models were assembled. Ford stopped production on the Model A in 1904. During the company's first five years, it produced eight different models. By 1908, the Ford Motor Company was producing 100 cars a day. But it was the Model T that really brought Ford success. Introduced in 1908, the Model T was a more affordable and reliable vehicle that was not just a luxury for rich people. It sold for $850, which was a decent price, but still inaccessible to many workers and disenfranchised people in the U.S. The Ford Motor Company built another factory and made the assembly line process more efficient, making it quicker to turn out the Model Ts. In 1918, Henry Ford purchased the newspaper The Dearborn Independent and began publishing a series of anti-Semitic articles in it. The paper shut down in 1927 after a libel lawsuit. But while the newspaper ran, Ford sent the newspaper out to his dealers and had them conduct subscription campaigns and add the newspaper to customers' purchase of Model Ts. Demand for the Model T was high, and by the time the last Model T was produced in 1927, Ford had sold tens of millions of the cars in the U.S. and abroad. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can learn more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHC Podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope to see you again tomorrow for more tidbits of history. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.